Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the prevention coordinator for the Crisis Center. And I have Tiffany is with me. Tiffany Wall, she is our, well, she's many things. Yes, hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. She's many things, but uh, also the SFA campus advocate, which is probably what we're going to talk most about uh, today. Tiffany's also on the prevention team, just as I am, uh, but we're probably going to mostly focus on her work at the SFA campus. So uh, we'll get ready to do that. And I guess, um, I don't know if we need to go back to what, first of all, I guess, what is an advocate? Um, an advocate is a person that we have for all of our different services and Our advocates are for our clients, whether they need legal assistance, financial assistance, housing assistance, and we get them set up with the different resources they need. And we're just that connection for them to let them know that they're not alone, that they always have somebody here, they have somebody to call whenever they don't know where to go next. And so I guess then, I guess it would make sense then a campus advocate is your advocate for students at Stephen F. Austin State. Yes, we have multiple different sets of advocates in Nacogdoches, and we are fortunate enough to be able to be on campus, and my clientele is specifically for the clients of SFA um, and students, even faculty and staff, if they were to need it as well. Okay, so it's not just for the students? No, not necessarily. Okay. So, obviously, there's a need um, for a campus advocate. Um yes. Let's, let's let's just talk a little bit about this. You're you're a recent college graduate. You know what goes on on college campuses. Yes, <laughs> uh, it's been a while for me, but uh, still, um, let's just talk about the need for and and you know. And I think you and I have had this conversation before. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just flat out say this: I graduated Sam Houston in 1989. And I honestly don't think there was anything. There may have been a service like a campus advocate on campus then, but I don't think there was. If it was, I never knew anything about it or heard. Is a campus having a campus advocate? Do you know? Is that something that's kind of new for college campuses? Or I wouldn't say it's necessarily new. Um, it's probably way more common in the last ten to fifteen years to have them. We've been at SFA, I believe five or six years is where we've had our specific office there but of course we've always been here to serve our clients um I know we had a similar program um, where I went to school at Texas Tech so it's probably still new within the decade-ish but it's extremely common now to have those services available on campuses do you think your services that are available do you think the students are aware of your services that that help is out there if they need it from you We've taken extreme measures to make sure that um, our message and our location is out there for students to know. The issue, not an issue, but the reality of college campuses is that it's a constant um, revolving door of students coming in and out. And so it's always trying to make sure that we're out there. And I think that we have been able to really reach the students, at least since I've been at the Crisis Center, to let them know that we're here Um, We do multiple presentations. We have all kinds of information out there. We have partnerships with very important entities on campus so that they can also share our information. Um, So I believe that we've been pretty successful with letting SFA know that we're there. Okay. 
how is it, like, what do you do to make students, you, you said that uh, you do presentations. When you do a presentation for a class, what what do you talk to them about? Um, I'll go and ask the instructor, maybe if it's a organization on campus, I'll ask what they're looking for, because we do a large variety, and I'm capable of doing anything from sexual assault, stalking, to domestic violence, to financial abuse, anything like that. And so once I get what they're looking for, and nine times out of ten, it's revolving more towards domestic violence or sexual assault, um, we'll go in, I'll do an overview of our services, where we're located, just kind of different things that we have. And then I'll go and give examples of what does dating violence look like? Um, how can you recognize it? What are some of those signs of healthy and unhealthy relationships? Um, what are a few of the statistics? Just so that they know that this is real and it is everywhere. And I always leave them off with the fact that they are going to know somebody who's going through these situations. And so even if they don't know our information for themselves, there's going to be somebody in their lives that could use it. Okay. Um, let's just talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned dating violence. Is that, when we talk about dating violence, is that domestic violence was just a different name to it? Pretty much? Um, kind of, yes. So dating violence and domestic violence are almost synonyms of each other, but domestic violence can hold a different, um, people can see it differently. Domestic makes you think of domesticated, um, maybe marriage, 2.3 kids, a dog and a picket fence. Um, and that doesn't always resonate with students because not a whole lot of students are married. Not a lot of them may or may not have kids. And so we like to use the term dating violence, which is still domestic violence, um, just to be more connected to that age group. Because if you came to me um, when I was 19 on campus, which wasn't too, too long ago for me, <laughs> um, and talked about domestic violence, I may or may not have known what you're talking about, but dating violence, I would have known immediately. I would have been able to connect with that. Okay. Um, do you think, uh, and I know, you, you know, if you're going to listen to this podcast a lot, we're going to talk a lot about survivors instead of using the word victims. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just kind of something uh, that we do. So survivors of dating violence on campus do you think, or in fact, maybe just survivors of domestic violence or or dating violence, do you think some of them are reluctant to come forward? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would like to say that there is a dynamic difference with college campuses, and it covers all the different, um, all of our umbrella, domestic violence, sexual assault, to where there's not a whole lot of maybe outside pressures that bring clients in, like our older clients who maybe have children, that's why they're coming in, or they're needing a divorce and that's coming in. And that's not necessarily happening as often on college campuses. And so they've got these other reasons why they're not coming in, which is um, prioritizing what they can handle with. You know, final seat, uh, time is extremely stressful and if they're going through a situation, they might only be able to handle so much stress at a time. And so they're blocking out their dating violence situation and they're focusing in on finals. Or there's the fact that they don't want people to find out. They don't want their friends to know. They don't want their families to know. And so it's just easier to keep it to themselves. And then there's also the option of they don't realize it yet. They think that what the relationship that they're in is normal or they just can't identify those factors that it is unhealthy and it is not good for them to be in it, but they just haven't seen it yet. Sure. 
um, embarrassment, you think? Yes. I mean, you know, you just don't want people to know your business. You don't want your family to know your business. You're off in this. Um, a lot of students, they're away from home. It's their first time being on their own. They want to come across as they've got this and they don't need help. And I also think that that just goes with all ages, too. But I can see it being in that younger group even more of just, I don't want people to know that, that this is happening to me. And I'm just going to cope with it until either sure. I'm out of it or I do find that I need help. I think maybe also a young person like that, maybe they're afraid if they do report it, parents are going to find out. Or, yes. you know, and and that's one thing that, you're always telling students that you're you're confidential. Yes. That you're not even going to report it to the school. That is our um, that is my most important thing. I say most important. I can tell you about three different things I think are equally <laughs> most important. Um, but confidential is one of those extremely important things. Um, I am the only 100% confidential resource on campus where a student can come to me at any time, and I'm not going to outsource that information to anybody. There's a lot of entities on campus like counselors who are confidential in their counseling hat, but if they're also doubled up as a teacher for a class, then they're not confidential in their teaching hat. And then all teachers on campus are required to report to Title IX of any um, sexual assault or violence that's happened to them on campus. And I am not. So that is a huge benefit um, to having the Family Crisis Center on there is we are a completely confidential resource for our students to where they don't have to worry about their information going out to their family or going out to their friends. And those are questions that I've had. Are you going to tell my parents? Absolutely not. Um, what is between me and you stays between me and you. And what's between you and your services with the agency stays between you and the agency. So what happens if, if you have a student that comes up to you, that uh, comes to your office says, I've been, I'm a survivor of dating violence. Dating violence has happened to me. Uh, what's the benefit of them talking to you about this? What, what do you do once a student tells you that, uh, this awful event has happened, what what happens after that? Um, I'm going to get an assessment of what the situation is, and from there I'm going to thank them for trusting me with that information, for being willing to come forward because it's a very difficult thing to do. And then from the information that they've given me, we're going to establish what are their needs that far. Um, is it legal advocacy to where they're needing a protective order, they're needing help with police accompaniment or any form of that is it counseling where they're just wanting to um you know work through that trauma and then come off on the better side more healthy is it that now they have to figure out a place to live and we need to work on those so it is we tailor a plan specifically to each individual client and then we follow that plan and I get them to those resources that they need, whether it be my advocacy specifically or whether I send them to the counselor that they need so that they can get those services. Sure, sure. Um, now, your office is located in the McKibben building. You share office space. You share a hallway with Title IX. Yes. Um, I guess in as simple and as brief of an explanation as you can, what is Title IX? You, a lot of times people hear Title IX, Title IX, and I think it encompasses so much, but specifically, 
when it comes to being an advocate for students, for, for survivors of sexual assault, dating violence, where does Title IX fit into that? Um, fantastic question. So Title IX is on all campuses. It's uh, mandatory for all edu- educational um, places to have them. And they are the reporting agency for sexual assault, um, any domestic violence, dating violence, stalking incidences that happen on campus. And so I always try to stress, another thing that I try to stress is that though my office is located in a Title IX corridor, I am not Title IX. We have signs above all of our doors that show who is a mandated reporter and who is confidential. And mine are one of those doors that have a confidential flag on there. Um, But Title IX is where if any faculty or staff on campus becomes aware that any form of assault or stalking has happened, then that is where those reports go to, and they do an investigation in their own time. We do try to, um, you know, have a good working relationship with Title IX. That way, if Title IX sees that these clients need our services, which all of them should, anybody who falls under Title IX also falls under our umbrella, um, that way they can come to me and get those extra services like counseling and things like that and legal if that's what they're needing. Okay, cool. Um, What does a student need to do? And and you've probably already kind of touched on this a little bit, but what's the first step a student should take if they feel like they have had a sexual assault or incident of dating violence happen to them? What's, What's the first thing that they need to do to get in touch with you? For me, we have um, our numbers everywhere on all of our brochures, on all of our information. I pass out my business cards like free candy, I like to say. <laughs> Please take them, pass them around. Um, <laughs> and it's just that phone call, whether it be to any of our offices. That's the great thing is we have multiple offices, but we are so close-knit that if you call any number, you're going to be able to find me. They're going to be able to leave me a message. So it's any number that you see on any of our brochures or if it's my business card, calling that number and setting up that appointment with me. If you're on campus, go ahead and come up to my office. It's in the McKibben Education Building. It's on the third floor, 304Q in the Lumberjacks Care Corridor. And like I said, I've got that confidential flag by my door. And just come up there and see me, and then we can uh, get the ball rolling and get you the help you need. Okay, very very well. Okay, Tiffany, on a any normal time of the year, I would might see you a few times a month. Mm-hmm. Being my office is here in Lufkin, your office is at the SFA campus. This year I've pretty much seen you every day because you're here. Yes. <laughs> because of the 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 ugliness that's uh, COVID nineteen, how has that affected the services that you can provide to students on campus? So COVID nineteen has shut down SFA up until uh, moving days today, actually. So yay. Um, since March, that's whenever all of our students left, and that meant that all of my clients went home. Um, so, but just because my clients went home did not mean that we were not able to still have services. I have a phone, so we were able to, uh, keep up over, uh, phone calls and emails and text messages and things like that. Um, 
looking back or coming back, we, our office will be open as of next week, which is extremely exciting. And we'll be back on campus and hitting the ground running and trying to reach out to all of our um, new folks on campus and re-reaching out to the old folks on campus. But um, COVID has made it a little bit more difficult just because there are no students on campus, um, but it definitely didn't damage any of our um, contacts with our old students. Now, that doesn't mean to show that a lot of students, whenever they went home, that they were ready to stop receiving services because they were home and they felt safe, um, but those students also know that we're here and we're still available if they need us. Okay, cool. Um, let me ask you this, because you do work with survivors. How do you think this, the whole COVID thing has affected them? Do you, have you seen an increase in people reporting? Is it about the same? Or do you think people are less likely reporting now because they don't want to get out? Um, does that make sense? Do you kind of yes. understand where I'm going with that? Does that, um, so I don't have a lot of numbers on SFA specifically, unfortunately, because I'm not up there. And well, that's there, fine. There are yeah, no students sure. there. Uh, but as far as the intakes that we're doing right now in our other offices, I would say that we have seen an increase. We've seen an increase since the uh, midst of the pandemic back in April, whenever just a lot of things were completely shut down. Um, I would say that the domestic violence probably hasn't necessarily increased because it's still been going on and it has been going on. No, let me rephrase that. The incidences themselves have definitely increased because everybody is home together. Um, but those who were abusing before COVID are still abusing during COVID. And I do think that since things have opened up, we've been able to get those clients to come in. So we've had that influx of those intakes where they're able to get out and come in and find where we are and get those services from us. But, you know, for a while there, we weren't seeing those intakes because everything was shut down, which means that those um, victims and survivors, unfortunately, were stuck with their of perpetrators. Okay, cool. And I do want to, I, I, I was just now thinking of this when, um, we are recording this uh, in mid-August. Tiffany was saying moving days today. More than likely, when you're listening to this, moving day has already happened. Uh, not that it matters that yeah. big of a deal, but just 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 wanted to uh, don't want to confuse anybody uh, with that. Uh, but but going back to seeing clients, do you see, have have you utilized Zoom to do any intakes or or anything like that? I have not. We have primarily done whenever um, our process changed a little bit to COVID is we still need our clients to come in. We need, we have paperwork that we've got to do, which isn't a scary thing, but we have to get permission for, from our clients for us to work with them. And so I'll do phone interviews pre to where I just get some of their information. Mm -hmm. That way the contact in the office is minimized and it's just as short as possible, mm -hmm. but we've still remained our face to face, um, very safe mask on social social distance, but we are still able to see our clients, which is a huge benefit because you can make those connections that are necessary in person versus Zoom. It's a lot easier. Sure. Um, and I guess that'll be the challenge this fall with SFA going to kind of a hybrid system, kind of online and in person. And I'm sure the campus will be a lot 
thinner, yes. I guess, as far as actual student bodies I would around. say so. Because normally, you know, we'd be, and a lot of times you and I would, would be working together as far as the prevention side, doing tabling events and and doing presentations and, and, and things like that. And obviously that's just not going to be the same no, at not least at all. this year. And it is very sad. We are very active on campus. Um, any of the groups that have heard me speak, I do 7 p.m. presentations, 8 p.m. presentations. I have those lovely 13-hour <laughs> days where I get to leave at Friday at 11 because I work so much in the afternoons. Um, I try to be as active on campus as I am and get out there, and so that is going to be an adjustment, not being able yeah. to do that. Right. And, of course, what you just said just reminded me, I guess that was, man, I guess it was October last year. I did an event. The um, oh, the, the improv strikes mm-hmm. back. They did this thing on a Friday night at 10 p.m. and I thought you guys are crazy. <laughs> and those students were after the event was over, which was probably about 11. They were talking about what party we're we going to tonight, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to the, to the house and turning out the lights. But it's just it was just wild. Okay, Friday at 10 p.m. That's when we're going to start this thing. <laughs> Anyway, I just it, I guess that kind of again shows the difference in uh in the the age, the, the the age the the age gap there a, a little bit. Um do you think being a campus advocate helps that you're a recent graduate yourself that you're closer someone in their early 20s as opposed to someone in their 50s, I guess, being a campus advocate. Do you think that helps a student I do. maybe open up to you maybe a little bit more? I do. I definitely, um, I try to put a lot of spunk and personality in my presentations. And I, you know, I have a lot of one-liners. And one of those is, guys, I'm your age. I mean, I'm a little bit older than y'all now, but I'm still in your age bracket. I know what's going on. I know um, what, you know, what's hush-hush and what y'all are wanting to talk about. And I really think that not only does it help me as my role as a campus advocate and connecting with people, to where, you know, we are in, we are peers, you know, we're in the same age group. Sure. So there's that connection there. Um, but it also gives a really good, fresh outlook on what's going to work at SFA and what's not. What's the best way? Because I was that student who had my headphones in with no music on, eyes to the ground, and I was avoiding the people at tabling. I don't want to talk to you. Don't talk to me. And so I get to go into this knowing what kind of student I was and like, all right, how do we get my attention? Right. To where I want to come to my own table. Well, and I think, too, again, kind of going back and trying to think about what it was like when I was that age. If I'm walking on campus, I really honestly, and I'll be honest with you, because I'm in the prevention line of work here at the agency. But when I was a college student, I don't know if that's the last thing I was probably really wanting to hear or talk about is consent. and. Yes. <laughs> um you know, uh, being a by, you know, bystander intervention, which in a future episode, we'll go a lot into that. You'll more than likely probably be back when we start talking about a lot of prevention things. But, uh, but you know, uh, you know, does a college student really want to hear? And that's the challenge, I guess, when you work on campus is making it to where they do want to hear the message. Lots of free snacks, lots of free coffee. <laughs> right. um, I like to, I have dubbed myself the snack queen. 
Up at SFA, um, I have all the fruit snacks and granola bars and honey buns. There you go. That way, you know, we're trying to entice. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I guess that's, that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, okay, so again, you're, you're a recent graduate. What made you decide to, well, let me, let's go back a little bit. What is your degree I have a degree in human development and family studies with a minor in personal financial planning from Texas Tech. And what made you decide to do that? I have always known that I wanted to work at the Family Crisis Center. It has been a goal of mine since I was in high school. So you're from here. So you're, I'm from here, yes. When I say here, I mean East Texas. Yes. Right? Um, I w- had the privilege of going to SFA um, from freshman year of high school to senior year of high school doing college classes. So I'm very familiar with the campus, have been going there for years. And um, knowing the area, knowing what the agency did, I picked my degree based on what do I think that they'll want to see. And so I was like, this degree goes with that agency, and that's what I'm going to do, and it's right up my alley. Um, I was able to use my minor to teach a support group here for financial readiness as well. So it's been all encompassing. Awesome. Great. All right. Uh, well, I, I think that's really, did you, did you have anything else you, you, you felt like you needed to add to this conversation? Um, I am very grateful to be here on this podcast. I think that this information is extremely important. Um, that way people always know where we're at. You know, it's a it's a three-mile radius campus from what I've been told by the police officers there. And it is, it's a pretty small area, but a lot can still happen. And it does happen, and it's there. And it's very easy to get stuck in our small-town mentality that these things don't happen where we're at yeah. because we're so rural. Um, and the reality of it is nobody is exempt for that possibility, which is a terrible reality. But we also want to leave that piece of sad information with the fact that there is always help. We are always here. We are always ready to hit the ground running and offer all of those resources. And, you know, I always like to tell in my presentations, if you just need somebody to talk to, even if you're having a super bad day, come in my office, let's have a snack, like, and let's talk about it and let's see what we can do for you. Because somebody, everybody needs somebody who can be that person for them. And that's what the crisis center tries to do. All right. Tiffany Walsh, uh, Family Crisis Center of East Texas, SFA Campus Advocate. Uh, thanks, Tiffany. Thank you. Now, Tiffany's, Tiffany will be back with us in future <laughs> episodes. We, we're going to be talking about all kinds of prevention things and, and other. And we'll probably do something on financial abuse also, I'm sure. It's in, my geek out. In, in the future. So uh, we'll, let, we'll let Tiffany geek out on that. Uh, if you'd like to get a hold of us, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast or, or if you uh, just want to reach out to us, uh, you can email us at familycrisiscenter at fccet.com. And if you feel like you need some services or need some help or if you know someone who does, um, I do want to give you our hotline, which is answered 24 hours a day. That's 1-800-828-7233. So that's going to do it for this episode of Conversations and Connections. Remember, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else. We'll talk to you again soon.